And we're with our very good friend, Lukman Harris from Astra Awani. Okay, so, you know, we're talking today about the fact that we have over 300,000 doses um, of vaccine that landed yesterday and was delivered to 16 vaccine storage centers nationwide. Mm-hmm. Now, there are 570,000 registered frontliners, right? Yes. So, Lukman, I want to get your take on this. With so many frontliners and not enough vaccination vials available, will frontliners be given the priority? Yeah, frontliners will be given a priority, but um, I guess within that particular group itself, within the frontliner group, there are you know, select groups which will be prioritised. Um, we we don't know, do not know the specifics of that because even the government has not shared any specifics. But I think it's a safe assumption to say that um, out of the frontliners, those who are really on the front lines, you know, the nurses in the COVID wards, um, the medical attendants, the doctors, of course, will be the amongst uh, the first ones who will be getting the vaccine in the first phase, which is due to start actually this month, um, next week, in fact. Within that particular group, because we only have, like Asha mentioned, it's not like 312,000 doses, but yeah. we have about 572,000 frontliners or something like that mm. who have registered to get vaccinated within just that group. So obviously, that's not enough. So other supporting staff within the frontline industries, the hospitals, like you know, the administration staff, the clerks, the people who work at the counters, etc., the office staff, those, I think, is a safe assumption for us to say that they will be uh, the second group within the first phase. So those who are really you know, putting their health at risk every single day who are really at the front lines, they will they are the ones who will be um, prioritized. So this phase will start later this month. It will go through to April 2021 this year, hopefully. It involves around 580,000 frontliners. We have about 313 doses of vaccines so far. So yeah, I mean, it makes sense because the, the supply is very short, right? Yeah. Mm. So when can the rest of Malaysia expect to be vaccinated? The phase one will start this month and it will go through to April. And then phase two will start from April through to August of this year, August 2021. So phase two involves senior citizens, the high-risk group, those with you know underlying um, conditions, comorbidities, if I'm not mistaken. It's yeah. called like if you have diabetes, if you have heart disease, and also the disabled, the OKU, or all this group totals about 9.4 million people. So that will be the second phase starting in April. And for the rest of us, we can expect to start getting vaccinated anywhere from May until February of next year, 2022, because government targets at least 80% of the population to be vaccinated by the end of all this. So if I got my math correctly, that's about 18.7 million people. And one person would require two doses, mm. at least for the current vaccines. The only single shot vaccine that we, not that we have, but that has been developed is the Johnson & Johnson, Johnson vaccines. Yeah. We don't have that yet. Mm. So we require about 38 million doses to actually vaccinate 80% of the population. Those wow. are the three phases. So for the rest of us, just remember May until February 2022. Until then, wear your mask and wash your hands, guys. But yeah, I, I'm looking forward to get vaccinated. How about you, man? Are you afraid of needles? Actually, no. I, I'm okay with needles and I, I'm looking forward to getting vaccinated, actually, to be very honest with you. But the cool. thing is, I think like we have a number here and I don't know whether it's an actual uh, solid figure about whether mm. Malaysians actually want to work from home or they prefer to just yeah. work from the office or mm, not. Yeah. We're going to get to that in a bit. So, Lokman... 
About half of Malaysian employees want a combination of working from home and the office after the pandemic, yes. according to a poll by recruitment agency Randstad. Although this pandemic has shown us that it is possible to work from home, in your opinion, do you think it's possible for us Malaysians to work efficiently from home? It depends on what you do. If you have a typical office job, I don't think that would be much of a problem. But if you have a very physical job or a job that requires you to be on site. But the second factor, I would think, besides the nature of the job, is just the infrastructure that we have. This recent so-called PDPR uh, thing where you uh, continue learning for students, you continue learning online at home. This has given rise to debate that we don't have you know, adequate infrastructure to do everything from home. We don't have a good internet connection. Yeah. I guess, broadly speaking, I don't think it's feasible for the vast majority of Malaysians to continue working from home, although mm. it's good from a pandemic point of view. But we just can't be as efficient. And it's through no fault of our own because we just don't have the infrastructure. We don't have the facility to do it. So either we hope that this vaccination will allow us to continue living our lives as normal, going to the office. Or if you want people to just stay at home, you have to actually improve the infrastructure for people who are working from home and also for students. Okay, let's um, talk about a poll that was done. One in three respondents of that poll felt that they would need mental and emotional support post-COVID-19. How important is it for employers to look into this aspect more so than allowing employees to work from home, perhaps? It's vital. It's vital. In fact, now we've seen with MCO 2.0, the Prime Minister specifically mentioned that he understands the mental pressure of people having to stay home. This mm. was when we were given some degree of freedom with the CMCO, etc. And then mm. we had to go back to the full MCO because things were getting worse. Um, and, and he said, yeah, to ensure that the mental health of people are not affected or affected very minimally, the government will give some leeway. So he allowed for people to just go jogging or running. Yeah, yeah. cycling Uh, so this is very important I've also seen some pieces and studies about how this will have a long-term impact long-term trauma for people it's just not within our nature to be confined and in closed space like uh, you know most people live in apartments like myself it's not that Mm. big we are we are trapped that day in day out we couldn't do anything and children particularly these are three four five year olds it's in their nature to be outside to be active to be very physical playing Mm. with their friends but for the past year more or less they've been entrapped in the house so there were some studies to suggest that this may have a long-term psychological impact on them so yes after all the dust is settled even now the government doesn't just need to prioritize how do we revive the economy etc but to make sure once we come out of this pandemic not just the physical part is sorted but the mental and emotional and psychological aspect is sorted as well now the thing is because we're actually embarking on vaccinations already to achieve herd immunity if we were to do that just talking about how lucky we are right Mm. to vaccinate everyone to get to herd immunity level that would include undocumented migrants right Mm, yeah. And yeah. the reports all over the place has been slightly concerning. How are we going to handle the undocumented migrants, yeah. right? I think, I, I think I've got a very unique take on that. After right. this, I'll tell you. Okay. Okay, awesome. We're talking about vaccinations today, and um, this is also a topic around that. Lokman, a youth organization has proposed the government conduct a legislation scheme for undocumented migrant workers working in Malaysia, parallel to its COVID-19 vaccination program that could solve two of the country's biggest headaches in one shot. So can you help us understand why is it important to legalize undocumented migrants in Malaysia? I think it's important for us to track 
better and register undocumented migrants in this country, especially in view of this pandemic, because mm. obviously there's a transmission risk amongst those people as well. Just not just them, but locals as well. But they are risk walking risk of uh, the spread of COVID nineteen because you know, I mean, not to stereotype, but most of these people they they work in factories, they live in very close, you know, quarters. narrow, small yes. quarters, dormitories, not by their own choice, but because a lot of the employers just make it as such for them. Mm. But But I don't think it's important, or we need to legalize all of the undocumented migrants. We have to track them better. Mm-hmm. We have to vaccinate them, of course. But legalization requires for you to look at it from a case-to-case basis. I mean, this is right. also a hot topic in the US, right? It mm-hmm. depends on how you enter the country, your intention was, whether you bring your family, etc. So I think it's pretty dangerous for us to just now that we are vaccinating a lot of them, we are we are rounding them up, we're vaccinating them. It's dangerous for us to just legalize them in mass because that will set a very bad precedent for the country. We still have laws, we still have sovereign borders. So if we do that, we send a message to migrants from any country. You can just enter, and if with any luck, you can just be legalized just like that. So I think this would be discounting the law and, in fact, sovereignty of the country. Mm-hmm. Because when you you can enter this country, you are in fact to a certain extent welcome to enter this country, especially if you want to contribute to the economy, if you want to work. But you have to do it the right way because we have laws. We can't mm-hmm. have millions, hundreds of thousands of people just pour into the border and legalize them. Yes, I think we should track. We should definitely vaccinate without discrimination, even though they are undocumented. But legalization is a different thing. It requires further studies. So tracking legalization are different things. But once legalized, will they be allowed to continue to live and work in the country? Yes, if if you are legalized, of course you will be allowed to continue living and uh, working in the country. It depends on the nature of the case or the type of approval given to each person. They might be given like a, a periodic approval. They have to renew their permit or visa, whatnot, every few months or every few years. Um, but if they are legalized, they can continue to live and they can continue to work. But you have to continue being in this country in the right way. I mean, of course, as citizens as well, we have to abide by the law. So for uh, immigrants to come from whichever country, whether Asian countries or whatever countries, they have to abide by the law because everyone else does. So I, I think this is a very sort of like slippery slope, sort of like a double-edged sword, maybe if you want to call mm. it that. But the government should really study this properly, weigh its pros and cons. Before they just decide to legalize mm. these immigrants, because I don't think it will set a good precedent moving forward. Now, before we move on, I just want to ask you, uh, do you remember watching TV Pendidikan on TV? I vaguely remember it. Yeah. Do you have fond <laughs> memories of it? I don't know. It's yeah. No. Okay. Uh, answer might be a bit controversial. So right. let's just take a break and we'll talk about that. All right. Cool. <laughs> Direct TV. Let's talk about that next. Look, man, we're talking about uh, SPM candidates saying the launch of Didit TV Educational Network has come too late for them, as in less than a week they will be sitting for their first paper. So, in your opinion, and I know I'm always putting you on the spot here, what do you think of this statement by the SPM candidates? Look, I agree. It just doesn't really make sense. I applaud the initiative by the government to actually um, establish a Didit TV in view of the current conditions. Students had to learn from home, etc., so they had trouble. Getting gadgets and everything, so 
So the idea is uh, noble, but the timing is just flawed. We understand the government had to put a lot of infrastructure in place within a very, you know, uh, cramped amount of time. They didn't have a lot of time. But I understand where the SPM students, in fact, all students coming from, because it's a week from SPM, now you are starting to date TV. So what do you expect us to learn within the one week? In fact, to zoom out a bit, now a lot of parents and students are, are, are actually complaining because last time we did a PDPR, like the, the learning from home thing online. Mm. So that was just, what, a few months ago. And then parents were scrambling to get laptops, to get tablets, P, uh, yeah. parents especially coming from low-income families. Um, I have had a, a staff here literally uh, shooting out a message in the WhatsApp group saying, hey guys, do you have any spare laptops that you can lend me? Because he has six kids. Wow. Six kids all within like one or two years apart from each other. Oh so goodness. all of them are in school. And these kids, they basically start their class at around the same time. So for people like that, it was very hard. So they had to go to the ends of the earth to actually get laptops. They even get refurbished laptops, secondhand laptops, whatever that they can actually, as long as you can fire up the browser and get a decent internet connection for their kids, mm. they got. And then shortly after that, they announced that schools were reopened. So these parents are now saying, look, I have finished so much money to actually buy five laptops and tablets for my kids that affected my savings because I didn't have a lot to begin with. And now after I've actually um, gotten all these things and now schools are reopened. So what do I do now? I, I don't have money anymore. I have these laptops. What do I do now? So um, I guess the planning could have been better. D-Date TV as well. Again, the intention is noble, but the execution can be improved because the victims ultimately are the people and the parents, particularly the low-income parents, families, uh, pity them. And of mm. course, the kids, because when you are at the age of, say, um, a preschool four, five, six, and then standard one, standard two, seven, eight, nine. You are still at a very tender learning age. You know, you are still very impressionable. So, if this is your first impression of learning, you might have a very bad perception of education as a whole. And when you just have started learning, um, you are at a very sensitive period in your life in terms of your mind. You're just absorbing a lot of things now. So, this stop, start, stop, start thing. You know, schools close, we open again, close, we open again, and then online, and then coming back mm. to school. So this, I'm afraid, will have a long-term psychological impact on their minds, especially the younger kids. So lesson learned, this was a very steep learning curve for us. So mm. hopefully next time we'll do better. Now, Lokman, at Esrawani, right, how often do people share the news that Esrawani has online? Is it Countless big, times. Right? Yeah, it is, I mean, this shareability of Esrawani news is just tremendous. Lah. Right. So now the thing is that we're very concerned about because I go through my social media all the time and most of it is for news. I don't do anything like anything else. Now the question is, what happens when there's no more news on Facebook? <laughs> exactly. We're going to talk a little bit about that next. Oh, we were just talking about uh, in the last bit about watching TV and, and studying. I suppose this is kind of in the same sort of vein but Facebook has blocked Australian users from sharing or yes. viewing news content on the platform causing much alarm over public access uh, to key information going away right like well, mm. what caused Facebook to take this drastic step to restrict public access see it's not actually Facebook's fault because this started in the Australian government okay. so the <laughs> Australian government actually passed a law of some sort actually allowing Australian news portals to monetize every single content and that includes links to their online articles so platforms which publish links uh, to their news articles also now have to like pay those portals 
So this had actually caused Facebook to actually take this step. So the Australian government, this whole thing started by the legislation that the Australian government had passed. So Facebook is saying that, okay, we can't start paying every time we just want to share a link. We, we don't republish the article, which you can argue is their intellectual property, copyrighted, mm-hmm. etc. Mm-hmm. But let's say if I just copy a link from um, astroawani.com and just post it on my Facebook, do I have then have to pay Astroawani because I shared that link? Yeah. Right. So this, this was debated quite heavily because when you do that, I mean, you don't really plagiarize the content. You don't particularly benefit monetarily from it. Mm-hmm. In fact, you can argue that I'm helping that author. Correct. That's right. Yeah. Them for news, a lot right? publicity, yeah. Disseminating the news yeah, as well, exactly. right? Yeah, yeah. Spreading the word. I'm, yeah. I'm giving them engagement, views, readership, whatever you want to call mm-hmm. it. But, well, that what well, it has happened. The Australian government has passed the law. So that's why Facebook actually has taken this step. Now you go to like the Sydney Morning Herald page on uh, their Facebook page and you could see nothing because the page mm-hmm. is there. They don't need to get rid of the page of the news portal but they can't publish the actual news article links. So that's a bit bit silly for me personally. I think that's my opinion. So will a move like this impact Malaysia? I mean, is there a chance? Do we have anything in sight that may actually cause us to lose access to our local and global news networks? Thankfully, I don't think so. Apart from the Australian news portals now, which I don't don't think, apart from people like JD... They weren't very good anyway. No, I'm joking, I'm joking. (laughs) Relatives living in Australia, I don't think so many people get their news from Australian news sources. We get a lot from the US, maybe some from the UK, but Australia not so much. So that's one part of it. That's why I don't think we won't really feel this impact because mm. how do people, you know, actually go to Sydney Morning Herald to get their news? They make good news, yeah, but that's not our primary source of news. Yeah. Um, and the second part of it is that will we lose access to, you know, local news networks uh, especially? I don't think so because again, this was started by the Australian government. This was not started by Facebook. Yeah. So this was the gov- their government's choice. 